Podcast New York. What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's another all-new Dueling Decades. The adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back. I am Mark James, and this week I will be representing the best of June 1972 alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off is the man who passed out at 31 Flavors last night. Say hello to Man Crush. Accurate. Um, Hey, first off, I noticed that people are starting to spill over from the podcast and they're starting to find us on YouTube. So that's good. So if you haven't yet, go over to YouTube. It's youtube.com forward slash dueling decades. Same as everything else. Uh, hit subscribe over there, hit the alert button. So, you know, when everything's popping up, uh, we will release each video as a round. So you don't have to take in the whole thing. I don't know how you guys like to listen to it. Uh, but thank you for listening to that. And I have uh, June 14th through the 20th of 1981. Also joining us on the panel and serving up a generous helping of teen angst and TCBY is the professor drew Zachman. What's up, guys? I am repping the 90s. I have June 14th through the 20th of the year of our Lord, 1992. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So back by listener request, you know him as the brazen badass from Beantown and the host of the Selling Out Show. All rise for Judge Dave Schultz. Hey guys, glad to be back. I'm glad that one listener requested me. Um, And Man Crush did point out that you're on YouTube now, and more people should check out the YouTube since I'm very dapper this evening. I'm doing my best Magnum P.I. You are. You look very nice. I like it. About to head on vacation. You have really short shorts on, too? Uh, I have no shorts on whatsoever. Perfect. Yep, just a thong. Neither did Tom Selleck. (laughs) Yeah, just something, little dental floss right up my crack. That's all I need, bro. I like it. Do you? It's a good mental image. <laughs> just don't stand up. Okay, everybody, just stick to the podcast version then, the audio version. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hut products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie after all five rounds, we'll go to a final wild card round. Remember, duelers, to review the show. Listen, subscribe, and play along at home. It's time for more Dueling Decades. All right, let's go right over to Dave Schultz. For the coin toss. All right, I found something very important to DD lore that uh, I've used previously on the show. And I actually promised Mark 
I would send his way, but I am a liar. No good stinking downright <laughs> dirty liar. But tonight is to our benefit because I found the Mock James with the David Lee Roth haircut, the flowing mane, handmade pog that I made around <laughs> Easter. Look at that likeness. Oh my God. You I should be caterpillar in Caterpillar brows. Yeah, he does have some thick eyebrows, doesn't he? Yeah. It's a nice dash. Yeah. Well, this is the head. Okay. <laughs> Mock James, uh, his interpretation, or my interpretation of his face is the head and the back uh, is actually um, white and it's got some weird ingredients for when you dye your eggs around Easter time yet again. And it says mal maltodextrin, which just rolls mm. off the tongue. So that'll be tails. That's not really working on my my video <laughs> right now. It. So it looks, it, yeah, it looks like I'm just holding thin air. Look at that. It's amazing. <laughs> but the mark, the mark side works great. So, hey. All right, this week we'll toss it off between Drew Zachman and Man Crush. Uh, Drew, why don't you call it? Uh, I will take the Mark James likeness. Okay, here we go. And you've got it. It is the Mark James likeness with the flowing locks. All right, All right Drew Zachman, you win the coin toss. You take control of the board. You get to select our first category. Uh, let me see here. I'm going to go with news. Let's start with news. So, uh, what I have for news was Nelson Mandela announces that the <laughs> African national. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, uh, you're not. Nelson Mandela. No, I'm joking. Uh, so anyway, uh, how do you guys spell potato? Cause on June 15th, a human being that was elected by the people to be the vice president of the United States of America could not spell potato. I'm talking about Dan Quayle, who was the VP to George H.W. Bush, altered 12-year-old student William Figueroa's correct spelling of potato uh, with, an e, with an O to potato with an E at the end at the Muniz Rivera Elementary School Spelling Bee in Trenton, New Jersey, my hometown. Uh, Quayle said he was relying on cards provided to him by the school, which is probably horseshit. Um, uh, and that's how Quayle said that he had misspelled potato on there. Now, uh, this is actually something I'm a subject matter in because I won my school's fourth grade spelling bee. And yes, I still have my award. And yes, it has a little B on there and it's fantastic. Uh, but Quayle uh, made a career of pretty much being a moron. Uh, here's a quote of his, which I found, which is just awesome. He said, I have made good judgments in the past. I have made good judgments in the future. So I don't, I don't know what he said. Then he also gave us this gem. He said, the Holocaust was an obscene period in our nation's history. No, not our nations, but in World War II. I mean, we all lived in this century. I didn't live in this century, but in this century's history. I seriously like read this quote like 15 times. And I still can't make any fucking sense out of it. Anyway, so I give you a politician doing politician things on June 15th, 1992. All right, Man Crush, what did you bring for the news round? All right, so let's go uh, June 19th, 1981. And with Father's Day coming up this week, I figured, why not look at, you know, for something at least that uh, was Father's Day related. And, uh, you know, before we even get to it, I don't know about you guys. Maybe this is the same case with you, but doesn't it feel like Father's Day is the redheaded stepchild of holidays? Oh, Mother's Day gets a lot more emphasis. Uh, yeah, I mean, m listen. Mother's Day is a huge deal. It's well-deserved. Uh, however, I've, I always felt like us dads, we don't get nearly as much attention when it comes to Father's Day. 
And I, so that's why I was kind of looking for like Father's Day gift ideas. And I kept seeing the same shit over and over. And I found this article and I was like, this shit sums it up. Uh, and maybe it's because, I don't know, because Mother's Day is like almost a full month before us that our kids just don't give a shit anymore by the time it gets to June. I Maybe. I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, is, is am I the only one that experiences this? Well, I blame the Berenstein Bears. Like, if you've ever read the Berenstein Bears, uh, Papa Bear is a complete jackass. And I feel like the, he gets painted in the wrong light, which paints fathers in general, I think, in a bad light. So I blame I blame uh, the Berenstein Bears. Yeah, they're, uh, he's a real son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, this article right here, like I said, it, it kind of sums up my feeling. And it talks about a gift that I, I feel like all of us probably received at one time or another. So it was very fitting. And the uh, the title of this article is, If You Must Give Dad One Sunday, Consider What It Says About Him. And it's by Andy Smith of uh, the Garnet News Service. So this was like in all the newspapers. And uh, I'll skip part of this article. I'll give you uh, a, a portion, though. So it starts out like this. Father's Day approaches, and with it, the old question of what to get dad. A new Mercedes? Dad hates foreign cars. A 19-year-old hot blonde. Mom might not understand. A hot tub. He's already got one. Well, then, how about a nice tie? Perfect. Yes, it's time for the ritual of giving the tie, which goes something like this. Dad seeing box. Gosh, what could this possibly be? Gift giver. Oh, just open it. Dad. Oh, gosh. It's a tie. Just what I wanted. Thank you. Thank you, et cetera, et cetera. Then the tie disappears into the depths of dad's closet, never to be seen again. And I don't know about you guys, but I have like probably a dozen ties or so. I never wear any of them. They're all in the closet. And uh, the article goes on to say, at least, a, a, at least golf balls can make a satisfying splash before disappearing. Just why do men wear ties anyway? They're uncomfortable. They serve absolutely no useful function and they are perfectly placed to catch anything. A man might happen to spill in the, in the general direction of their torso, which is all true. It have you ever put on a tie and went, man, this thing feels great. This is the best thing. Ever. Like, I don't understand Never. how people can wear a tie. Maybe it's cause we're, well, I don't want to speak. Drew's kind of slender, but we all have pretty large necks. Like maybe it's yeah. maybe it's that, but I even the skinny guys I know hate wearing fucking ties. So I don't get it. So they go through all the history of ties and about these books and the secrets of success, blah blah blah. I'll just bring out a couple points from this. It says uh, from this book, Secrets of Success, where I guess there's chapters about ties. It says never wear a bow tie to the office. They don't say why, just don't do it. Uh, never wear ties with flashy colors dizzying patterns or large pictures so you have that one uh and that means wide red ties with a hand-painted palm tree extending from the throat to the navel that's probably out so are ties with naked women on them tasteful no do not wear them true they are great party ties but they are not power ties this guy goes on and on this is a long ass article but <laughs> la last thing he says here my advice is to do dad a big favor and get him something he can really use for Father's Day, like a bottle of booze or that hot 19-year-old blonde, <laughs> but not a tie. And I I couldn't agree more. 
And that all being said and going through this article, maybe ties are still in existence because of Father's Day. Yeah. Because we keep giving them to our dads. Let's just stop and let's eradicate this shit because they suck. Fuck ties. So it's a little bit Father's Day, a little bit about shitty ties. Let's just not do them anymore. I'd be totally cool with that. That's what I got for the news. The only time I don't mind where, and I hate where, because like when I go to work, when I would actually go into the office, which has been like a year and a half now, um, I would wear a tie every now and then, but I, I usually don't mind wearing them in the winter because I have a long walk from my car to the office. So it actually helps keep my neck warm. But when I get in the office, I'm like, no, I don't want it anymore. So <laughs> it's like if anything, I, if anything, I would just wear a scarf, I guess. So, yeah, I'm, I'm down with getting rid of ties. Fuck them. Just fuck ties. All ties. Bow ties. Anything with tie in it. Oh, if you wear a bow tie. Windsor knots. Like, yeah, we're done. Nobody did. It's done. We don't need it. All right, guys. So <laughs> for my news, we're going to go over to the L.A. Times via the Washington Post News Service. June 18th, 1972. For an article that reads, five men, one of whom identified himself as a former employee of the Central Intelligence Agency, and three others who police said were were natives of Cuba, were arrested yesterday in what authorities described as an elaborate plot to bug the offices of the Democratic National Committee. The five men, all of them wearing rubber surgical gloves, were surprised at gunpoint at 2.30 in the morning by three plainclothes officers of the Washington Police Department's tactical squad. They were captured inside a small six-floor office at the plush Watergate Hotel, where the Democratic National Committee occupies the entire floor. Police said that the men had on them at least two sophisticated devices capable of picking up and transmitting face-to-face and telephone conversations, lockpicks, and about $2,300 in cash, most of it all bills with consecutive serial numbers. The men also had with them a walkie-talkie, a shortwave receiver, 40 rolls of unexposed film, and two 35mm cameras. All right, we all know what this is. This is the the Watergate break-in. And the evidence from this uncovered would go on to change the history of this country, not only politically, but in pop culture as well. Watergate would leave its lasting mark on our culture, mainly because the term gate would be added to absolutely everything. There's so many things I could have talked about, about Watergate and this, but we all know the story. Why even bother bringing it up? So what I wanted to bring up is all the different gates that have spawned because of Watergate. You know, in the New Orleans Saints uh, bounty scandal, of course, that was Bounty Gate. Uh, everyone got to see Kate up the nude thanks to Celebgate. And uh, who can't forget when Justin Timberlake revealed Janet Jackson's breast on live TV and gave us Nipplegate or Tom Brady's balls in Deflategate. So either way you look at it, it's a monumental moment <laughs> in our history. It's the Watergate break-in, June 17th, 1972. All right, Dave Schultz, let's throw it over to you for the judgment on the news round. Alrighty, let's talk about 92. We're going to go in sequential order here with Drew, the potato E incident. And wasn't that nice? Wasn't that refreshing compared to uh, more current political landscapes that we deal with? That was a much simpler uh, slip up, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, But I, I got to admit something here, Drew. You said that you had won your uh, spelling bee in school, right? 
In fourth grade. That's right. Yes, sir. Fourth grade. You won yours and it was a legitimate win, correct? That's right. See, I won mine too, but I cheated. And I want to tell you how I cheated. Spelling gate. Cow. This is (laughs) 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 the final word that we had to spell was physical. And uh, when my teacher called on me, I did one of those, uh, 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 and I looked up. And uh, I don't, they probably don't have these in schools anymore, but back then they'd have the roll down map. Did it say physical education on there? Yeah, it said like physical world <laughs> map on it. And I'm like, physical. Uh, and I, I just played it like I was dumb, but I got it and I won. And I don't know what my certificate is, but it doesn't matter. I didn't earn it. <laughs> that whole potato E thing was huge. That was uh, quite the headline grabber back in 92. Uh, 1981, Man Crush Hates Ties. But I have a question for you, my friend. <laughs> what about the bolo tie? What's a bolo tie? You don't know the bolo tie? Like uh, mm. Philip Rivers would wear the uh, the country western. Like you get like a gemstone. Oh, or, like, with a, the like they look like strings uh, with a yeah fucking <laughs> yeah. Looks like a tampon hanging off your neck. Right. Nah. Or if you if you were chasing a ninja, you could pull off your neck and <laughs> throw it and wrap it around their ankles. That's, that's a cool use, I, I suppose. There you go. What about a keyboard tie? No, no. Show all the ladies no that you know how to jam. What do you need a tie around your neck for? Well, I'm just bringing up some uh, further examples yeah. of ties to show they might yeah, have. I'm, I'm going to eliminate them all. Frankie said relax. What about uh, family ties? <laughs> oh. No. Hmm? Uh, I can. <laughs> Honestly, probably do without uh, the last few seasons. So, okay. Well, obviously, you can tell I'm a very stylish, uh, dapper human being, but I only wear a tie when someone dies. So, <laughs> I'm not big on ties either. I, I did like the the information from the article. It was basically like, should you get your your dad Lonnie Anderson or get him a crummy tie? He's gonna throw in the in the drawer and never see again. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, Mark. You were you were getting me there until the end. You had to bring up my boy Brady. You really, you, I, I thought you were gonna like totally skip over that and try to butter up the judge, but no, you couldn't help yourself, nope. could you? No, no, I had to. Sorry. Now, uh, this Watergate incident that you speak of, I know it's not very uh, well known, so I'm a little curious. <laughs> is, is this the moment when Forrest Gump called the uh, the front desk because yes. there was lights shining and he couldn't sleep? That is the moment. That, That's the exact that moment, Gump. huh? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So if it wasn't sure. for Forrest Gump, man. <laughs> they never would have been busted. <laughs> nope. Thank you, Forrest. Forrest Gump. Yeah. Uh, these are all great choices. They were all uh, presented very, very well. I am going to say, though, despite the fact that uh, Mock hit me where it hurts in, in my softballs, uh, talking about my boy Brady, that's just a, such a huge event. And like you said, everything now is a gate because of it. I mean, it's inspired. Uh, everything has to be a gate, right? Yeah. Uh, but still, that that was just a huge, uh, huge event in uh, American history. Like, what would we call things if it happened at the Holiday Inn? Like, uh, <laughs> thank God I, it was at the Watergate, you know? It's true. It's a yeah, valid point. Okay. <laughs> You just continue to lose points with me, though, Mark. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what the hell does that have to do the Holiday Inn? Um, but no, Mark, you, you win. So congratulations. You get the first points on the board. And the, he didn't even bring up Spygate. Shut your fucking filthy mouth. <laughs> you know, I left a few out. I was hoping you guys would chime in with some of your favorite gates. They have a lot of gates. They have a lot of gates. In hey, I was trying to win the round, man. I didn't say a damn thing. <laughs> 
Clearly that didn't work. Well, maybe that's something that people watching along on YouTube can be down in the comments. Tell us what your favorite gate is. All right, guys. So I have control of the board. I get to select our next category. Uh, let's go over to television. All right. So my television selection, you know, we're in the summer months. The week I had June 11th through the 17th of 1972, everything was in reruns. So much like Man Crush did last week, got a little creative. And I'm thinking, all right, television. And then I come across this story about an actual television. So we'll go over to the Journal Gazette in Mattoon, Illinois, June 14th, 1972. Cartridge TV in debut. Boogie and Brando have been plucked from the Dynasty film cans of the late, late movies and plugged into the newest thing in home entertainment. The See It At Your Leisure Cartridge Television. Sears Roebuck is already demonstrating and accepting orders for its model. Other retail firms, including Montgomery Ward, plan to have the adapted television systems within the year. The equipment for the system was developed and is being manufactured by various retailers by Cartridge Television Incorporated, which has been attracting three deep crowds at its display at the Consumer Electronics Show this week. The company, which calls itself System Cartivision, has a subsidiary where they actually rent the movies to owners of the television. And you can get features like Bridge on the River Kwai and Dr. Strangelove, it says. Now, the Cartivision system was the very first video cassette recorder to have pre-recorded tapes for sale and rental. This was three years before the Betamax system even hit the market. The cartridges stood out because often because of its design. They were actually square and had two reels stacked upon each other. And then there was two different types. They had black tapes, which were for sale only, and then red tapes. Now, the red ones, those were the ones that were for rental for movies. Now, the red cassettes also kind of had an unusual feature. You could only play them once. If you wanted to rent it again, you if you wanted to watch the movie again, rather, you had to bring the tape back to the place you rented it from. They would use a special machine to rewind it, and then you could watch it again. And, of course, you'd have to re-rent it anywhere from 3 to $7, the article says. But you actually couldn't rewind the tapes yourself. So I give you the cartridge television. Put one in your home today, June 1972. <laughs> All right, Man Crush, what did you bring for the television round? All right, I didn't bring a hot product to the television round, but I will echo something that Mark said. <laughs> uh, out of all the episodes I've done on this show, this had to be the weakest television offering of all time. So I agree there. Of course, like Mark said, uh, you know, we're almost this summer. We might as well be in the summer at this point. So there's nothing new coming out. There's nothing ending. And it appears that all major sporting events were over. The NBA Finals, they took place in May. The NHL finals took place in May and Major League Baseball was under the 1981 strike. So that's out. And I missed a boxing event, boxing match by one day. Uh, even Saturday Night Live, uh, they were playing a repaint from uh, 1978 with Walter Matthau. So after much deliberation and much newspaper flipping, I decided to go with ABC's Saturday late night movie. 
which is a complete bizarre airing. I'd expect this to be playing on like USA's Up All Night or like Night Flight or something like that. I don't think, well, USA's Up All Night didn't come out for another like seven or eight years and Night Flight was right around there. Uh, but it wasn't. This was this was on ABC, and you would not expect this title to be on there. This is the world television premiere of That Man Bolt. <laughs> Look at them faces. I'll give you the tagline from this one. Uh, got a super hot delivery. Bolt's on the call. Big, bad, and beautiful. The man got it all, and he's bonded. Okay. <laughs> I know like not much needs to be said about this movie. You guys, uh, you've all seen it, but I'll, I'll give you some details anyway, just in case you've forgotten how good this one is. Uh, that man bolt, uh, of course it stars Fred Williamson and, uh, it's a mixed bag film. And, like, I don't know why, but I love when a film tries to incorporate multiple genres into one film. Like, let's just put everything in there. So in this one, you got black exploitation, you got martial arts, and a little espionage. You got uh, Fred Williamson. He plays Jefferson Bolt, who he appears to be like some sort of like James Bond type, which if you tell by the tagline with he's bonded, that's the, yeah. you get it? <laughs> get it I get it. Uh, he's also, he's an expert in Kung Fu, naturally. Uh, and most of these black exploitation movies were done independently. At least the ones that featured uh, Fred Williamson after this one, so this one, on the other hand, this was actually done by Universal Studios. So I would say after watching this one, it looks much better than his later films. Yet, according to Fred Williamson, Universal botched this one up, though, because they, they signed him to do three of them, and they only made one. And this is this is that one right here. So if you're up late Saturday night and you're in the mood for evil syndicates, ass-kicking kung fu, binocular sunglasses, car chases, Tom Jones karaoke, Having sex with other women right after you just watched your ex get murdered, who you also just banged. Uh, ninja throwing stars, <laughs> kills with broken glass, weapons of mass destruction, dudes named Spider, and briefcases full of counterfeit cash. Then tune in to ABC at 11.30 p.m. Saturday night for That Man Bolt. Wow. That sounds amazing. It's actually, it was not that bad. Uh, production quality is there. It's, it was a decent movie. Puts, uh, puts Fred Williamson on the map. This is very early Fred Williamson. Really? Yeah. Like Fred Williamson. No, this is like directly after like his Northwestern football days. So this is uh, pretty early on. Oh, and the other uh, big things from this one, uh, Bolt, uh, Jefferson Bolt. He also attended MIT. And uh, he was uh, popular for killing three men in Rio de Janeiro in 1968. Makes I didn't sense. get many details on that, but that's his claim to fame. All right, Drew Zachman, what did you bring for the television round? So uh, speaking of cramming in multiple genres into one television series. Uh, so I, I have quite possibly one of the best TV shows ever made. Uh, this show debuted on June 19th, 1992, and was an hour-long show that basically checked off all of these boxes. It had drama, martial arts, adventure, humor, mystery, and most importantly, secret societies. Now, the show follows Jonathan Raven, who is a ninja-trained former Special Forces agent who retires to Hawaii 
to search for his long lost son. I mean, everybody would do that. That's right. Father's Day. He's a good father. Um, avoiding assassins. Yeah. Well, that's all he would get. Avoiding assassins sent to kill him by his former associates in the Black Dragon clan. He uses his skills to help those in need. And he's assisted by his former military buddy, turns eccentric private investigator, because it makes sense, uh, Herman Jablonski, played by my favorite fall guy, Lee Majors. Uh, there weren't any other fall guys. I just wanted to say Lee Majors was my favorite fall guy. Also, I just wanted to say fall guy because I love that show. Uh, anyway, the show I'm talking about, which you guys probably already know, is Raven, which had a, an impressive long run, actually, going all the way into 1993. Uh <laughs> and I, I read the plot to this, and it's rather elaborate. So, so here we go. Um, well, actually, before I even get into that, right? So, uh, here's a question I have, and I don't know if the show delves into this because I didn't watch all the episodes or any of them. But he, so this guy was a Black Dragon Clan member, but he quit them and went into the Special Forces. Then the Black Dragon Clan tries to kill him afterwards. So. My question is, right, he left his previous employer, right? Now, if you leave your employer, do they all try to kill you? Or, like, did he leave and go to, like, a competitor? Like, like he signed, like, a non-compete and then went to a competitor? Like, like I don't know. Uh, In the early 90s, I think that was standard. Uh, maybe. And, uh, and, they're, and then they're like, well, you got to find employment outside of the industry, at least for one year per your non-compete and then you can join the special forces. I don't know. Maybe he didn't give two weeks notice and they're like, dude, we need time to backfill you and get your replacement trained up. There needs to be some kind of like transition here. We're going to, we're angry and we're going to kill you. So I don't know. I don't know what happened, but that's, that's a weird company to work for. So I can see why he quit. Um, but anyway, um, I, I honestly don't know if those things were discussed in Raven. Now I actually have extra questions about the show. So maybe I might sit down to watch it. Um, and and maybe that actually would be a better show than what was produced. But anyway, uh, Raven, that's what I got. I would have watched it because that actually sounds not that bad. All right, Dave Schultz, let's hear your verdict on the television round. <laughs> you laugh. You laugh. You should see my notes right now. I'm just like, bottom of the barrel. This is like some <laughs> terrible shit right here. This is summer um, months, bro. What are you gonna get? Yeah, this is this is <laughs> the rough. fact that Drew had a really show rough. that started in the summer is just yeah. the kiss of death, right there. It's like, oh, this show, uh, the pilot, it was okay. Uh, let's start it in June, right? <laughs> That'll work. Yeah. Oh my god. The uh, all right. So Mark came with 1972, the Cartridge TV, which sounds just fucking awful. It sounds so bad. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how popular that really could have been. I mean, with the price point it was back then and, and all the hassles you had to go through just to rent a movie. <laughs> Nobody even had yeah. gas in 1972. <laughs> like, like I got to return this tape to get rewound. Fuck. Got no yeah. The fact that you've never even heard of it should tell you alone how popular it <laughs> Yeah, was. yeah, right. I mean, this, I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe it's got, like, an important, I don't know, note in history because it's like a precursor to... What we all came to know. They were working on like, the the beta and VCR for years. It yeah, just okay. didn't come I, out. Listen, so. I follow you, but I'm, I'm trying to look for any kind of ray of sunshine with this. What's <laughs> hey, Dave's trying. Dave's trying over there. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm like straining. I think I just fucking pulled my quad with you guys' picks. <laughs> well, listen, like... we had a week, and it's mm. a summer television, so I figured yeah, I coming you. in, I, this was. Yeah, no, I'm I know. just telling for the people at home. Like, I kind of expected us all to have a pretty weak television round, and I think that's mm. going to happen for the summer. 
It was either that or a rerun of Samford and Son. Yeah. And it just so, doesn't I mean, feel right uh, bringing a rerun. No. It never feels no. right. I mean, you guys had weak uh, uh, information to pull from. I mean, I had Raven, so well, I lucked out. <laughs> yeah. No, you had, that was a, we had to go dive in deep. I mean, that shit's everywhere, Raven. <laughs> okay, so let's turn to 81, the Saturday late night movie, That Man Bolt. All I can say is the poster looks really cool. You know it, what I mean? Like It does. Yeah, it's one of those things where you were kind of selling it to me, and then I couldn't help myself. I had to look it up real quick. I'm like, well, that actually looks remotely interesting. And, and yeah, the artwork was fantastic. It's hard to find, uh, though. I'll, anybody okay. looking for it out there, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. How game. did you find it? I'm not going to say. Okay. Black market. <laughs> Allegedly, maybe. Okay. Uh, Drew with 92 Raven. That's uh, right. I, okay, Drew, I did want to let you know something, though. Now, should you ever go off to do your own offshoot or work on another retro nostalgia-based game show, okay. they will, in fact, kill you. They will oh, hunt I... you down. <laughs> D- Dueling Decades will murder you, okay? D- yeah, Mark will definitely be like in my backyard waiting to oh, stab me. We we will not do it. We have ninjas that take care yeah. of these yeah. sorts oh, of things okay. for us. Yeah, that's, uh, that's contracted out. I'm going um, to be one of those like Facebook accounts, Man Crush. That's always uh, like dueling underscore decades. Oh, uh, fucking. <laughs> or like D period ooling decades. For the people that yeah. don't know, if you're not uh, following our uh, our social media, you just go to facebook.com forward slash dueling decades. But we get imposter accounts all the time. So let me throw this out there because we never really talked about it on here. And I'll do this fast. If you ever get a message from us or a friend request, it's not us. Because we don't yeah. do that. And then we're not trying to uh, give away $5,000 in Bitcoin or whatever bullshit thing that these guys are doing. Definitely not us. So if you do see that and you do get a friend request, do like the people did the, the last couple times. They sent it directly to us and said, this person's impersonating you. And then we send it to Facebook and Facebook completely fucks us over. And they do nothing. And yeah. they do nothing forever. So just so you know. Just look for little differences, like Drew said. If it says dueling decades with, like, seven L's, <laughs> it's not us. It's not us. Okay. Uh, now we've got that straight away. Watch yeah. out for dueling decades. Dude. That's just dueling decades on too much medication. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. Here's how I'm deciding the victor. Whether you think it's fair or not, it doesn't matter because I am the almighty judge. Uh, it came down to either between 81... Man Crush and 92 with Drew. But because even though he won't reveal his source, I got to give props to Man Crush for actually watching the movie that he talked about. And Drew, the premise sounds great, but you just threw out there, you're like, man, eh, I've never even seen it. Well, so, so I, had the, I would have to watch an entire se- Remember, that show went all the way into 1993. Yeah. So there was like. There was like 20 episodes of that show, so I can't watch 20 episodes. He only had to watch one movie. That's horseshit. Did you even watch one episode? Uh, my, uh, <laughs> my internet my internet broke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you sound like me and my freaking spelling bee in fourth grade. How the tables <laughs> have turned, my friend. But no, I, I got to give uh, Man Crush this round. Like you have to, you have to watch some of these things because they, you, if you do the research on them and you look into them, some of them are very enticing. Like this movie, I probably wouldn't have, because I'm telling you, it was a difficult movie to find. It took me like an hour to to dig it up, and I had it was a very skeevy 
location i had to watch under incognito mode and, and did you watch it on a cartridge a little cartridge no. you had to put in your tv <laughs> <laughs> that, that you couldn't rewind i had to actually sit at my computer in the studio and watch it because where i was watching it from i couldn't even put it on the big screen so it was uh it was one of those but it's worth it if you could find it and you're into those type of movies from the 70s i think it's cool you'll you'll dig it was there a dude with a trench coat involved? He's like, hey, man, you want to see this? Flick? Oh, of course. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's There's always like uh, shitty, fat, white guys that are the bad <laughs> guys and all the time. It's always it's the same thing. Um, but it's great. Go uh, go and find that. All right, man, crush. You pick up a point, tie up this game. More importantly, you take control of the board heading into our final one point round. Where are we going? Mm, all right. Let's go hot products here. Round three. Uh, let's go July or July, June 16th, 1981, going outside the box a little bit on this one. Last week on the Canon episode, I brought the very first to a hot products round, and that was a human. And this week, another first. I think this is the largest hot product that one has ever brought to the hot products round. Uh, and you know what? Like if anybody can afford 20 and a half million bucks. In 1981, which is a steal, by the way, because 20, 20 and a half million bucks in 1981 is $61 Converted. million in 2021. There you go, yeah, Dave. There you go, yeah, Drew. Uh, <laughs> you would scoop this product right up. Seriously, this is this almost seems like you were selling the uh, the island of Manhattan here. And just to compare, just to tell you, like this same product sold in 2010 for eight hundred and forty five million dollars which is a billion over a billion dollars in 2021. So that's pretty insane that this only went for uh for 20 and a half million bucks in 1981. A uh, bit of history goes a long way with this one since the the current owners of this, they held the majority interest in this product for the last 60 years dating back to 1921. And even prior to that, this family they held a minority stake for 5 years. So this is a pretty substantial sell especially since their names are still associated with this team to this very day. Uh, at the time, the Chicago Cubs, they were one of the least successful teams in baseball. And the Wrigley's, they had been losing money like year after year for the last, I think it was like about four years. And uh, the year prior to them selling, they lost $1.7 million. And then if you look at the history of this, William Wrigley, who owned it at this time, both of his parents had just recently died within the past several years. So they were also, they had like looming tax problems that he was running into. So after 60 years, it was time to sell. And not to mention, like I, I talked about before, Major League Baseball was under like a, a player strike. And the players wouldn't even get back on the field to August night. So he's just bleeding money at this point. So with all that, it seemed like a perfect time to unload the cubbies and in comes the tribune company to save the day. And of course that's the parent company of the Chicago tribune and the daily news in New York. They ponied up that gigantic 20 and a half million dollars for 81% ownership of the Chicago Cubs. Uh, that's 1900 shares in baseball's only publicly owned corporation. And uh, they also threw in Wrigley field and they also threw in all the team's debts. But all in all, I mean, this is like a no-brainer at the time for these guys. The Tribune Company, 
they own the Chicago Tribune, of course, like I said before. They also own like several cable companies within the Illinois area. They also had multiple local radio and television stations like WGN. So this was like the perfect opportunity to grab the franchise and then highlight them and, you know, with all their media assets that they had. That's it. I mean, they did have some good years going through the 80s. I remember the Mets playing in them in the, the mid 80s. It was a tough team. Uh, but I'd say that the highlight for the Tribune Company owning this team was putting lights in Wrigley Field back in 1988. That was probably the highlight of the entire stretch of them owning it. Of course, they were never able to break the uh, the curse of the Billy Goat. Uh, that honor would go under the current owner, Tom Ricketts, uh, the guy who purchased the team. I was talking about before in 2010 for $845 million. And that was also a 95% stake of the team. And that team and that owner, they were the ones that break that 71 year old curse at the time when they won the World series. What was that 20? Yeah. It must've been 2016. They won that a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I give you the hottest product of this week, Chicago Cubs. Nice. Nice. Great pick as a, as a Cubbies fan, I can appreciate that one. Uh, Cubbies fan. Yeah, I am. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Mr. Drew Zachman here is a baseball fan. So not a Cubs fan. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> they had some good teams. I mean, they had Ryan Sandberg. Yeah. You know, they had the Hawk. They had a young yeah. Greg Maddox. So they had they had some good. I was going back through the then. years. I I always felt they were they Mark were tough. Grace. Yeah, they were a tough play for the Mets for years. But when I looked at their records, they really never did that well until like the early 2000s period. And they had yeah. a couple years in the 80s yeah. where they were solid, and a couple in the 90s. But they were never they were never there until uh, they sold. Again, solid investment though. Yeah, dude, twenty and a half million—it's a drop in the bucket. We should go fund me that. <laughs> we could buy like a major league soccer team. That's about it. Yeah. All right, Drew Zachman, what did you bring for the hot products round? So I have—I uh, went this route because I remember uh, going out to get this. And it wasn't there because it was so hot, we couldn't find it because it was off the shelves. But I'm talking about, uh, on June 17th, 1992, the Adams Family VHS, which is way hotter than the Cubs. Um, but this film, who actually was released in theaters November of 91, had a budget of $30 million or a box office of $191 million, or as we like to say in 2021, $366 million. So there you guys go. Um yeah, I mean, I remember going to like uh, uh, West Coast, at West Coast video we went to back then, and the whole wall would just be lined with these Adams Family, you know, VHS tapes. But it was such a hot product back then. Like, even though, you know, they have all those cases out there, behind the covers was nothing because all the VHS tapes were constantly sold out, at least for the first couple of weeks we tried getting it. So, um, yeah, I mean, the movie, it was a, it's a great movie. It was one of the last, unfortunately, movies that Raul Julia made. Um, but yeah, that was it. Adam's family, man. That was a great flick VHS and in, in the Zachman household, uh, it was definitely uh, a hot product. It was so hot. We couldn't get it for the first couple of weeks. I believe Raul Julia died because he was in, uh, street fighter. Street fighter. Street. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was just like, yeah, that was the last one. Yeah. That was the last movie he made. <laughs> well, went out on top. <laughs> 
All right, fellas, for my hot product, we're going to get on the bus and we're going to go pick up some concert tickets. And you could get these concert tickets for then priced anywhere from $6, $5, $4, depending on where you sat in the house. So in June of 1972, this band was coming off a legendary tour of Europe that would be immortalized as a classic live album. They would play their first show back in the United States in months to a hot crowd at the Hollywood Bowl on June 17, 1972. Now, unfortunately, this show would be the final show for one of the band's founding members as he would pass away just nine months later. Someone who truly embodied the spirit of the group and was seen as the original frontman. And despite that loss, and it was a loss that would be only one among many for this group, uh, they would endure it and go on to be one of the top touring bands of the 1980s and the 1990s. I give you the final show of Ron Pigpeng McKernan with The Grateful Dead. Uh, this show was also the first ever live performance of a song that would be one of the Dead's signature ballads, Stella Blue. In, in a kind of eerie connection, Stella Blue, which was written two years prior to its debut, is a song with lyrics that kind of suggest a dying blues man looking back on his broken dreams of a hard life on the road. So this first rendition of the song, absolutely amazing with Pigpen playing the organs. And there's just some a really haunting, eerie sound as it kind of fills out behind Jerry's guitar. And you can hear his organs front and center on some of the good live recordings. It's really nice up there in the mix. So I give you the Grateful Dead live at the Hollywood Bowl. June 17th, 1972, the final show for Pigpen. Definitely a concert that I would be uh, more than happy to get tickets to for six bucks. So. All right, Dave Schultz, let's hear, let's hear what you have to say on the Hot Products Round. All right, 1981, the sale of the Cubs. I think it's kind of neat that uh, the Tribune Company, was it, got 81% of the Cubs in 1981. Was there a jokester? Behind yeah. that, was there some pencil pushers? Like, yeah, this is <laughs> yeah, funny as hell. We got offer right, me right, one million and then say no. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I mean, as far as sports franchises go, the Cubs are uh, one of those beloved. Uh, the fans are amazing there. Uh, the history, everything else, the field, Wrigley Field, the Ivy covering the brick in the outfield. I mean, I'm not even from Chicago and. You know, you it's know, a, it. yeah, it's, it's a storied story franchise. Yeah, uh, I do want to, and this is all because earlier on, you guys kind of wanted to, you know, give me a hard time. The New Englander here, <laughs> and my love for my New England Patriots. So I do want to say one thing, and if you're a Cubs fan out there, I kind of apologize in advance, but I can't help myself. <laughs> uh, Steve Botman. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. That was uh, yeah, that that was. Yeah. Alou wasn't going to catch that anyway. Alou is a little <laughs> bitch. I'm sorry. He wasn't going to fucking get that. Yeah. And he's like, ooh, he's like pointing to like Bartman. He's like, oh, whatever, dude. I'm a fucking Threw his fan. glove on the ground. Oh, yeah, he went. He yeah, Alou was, Alou was not going to catch that. Also, yeah. your bullpen gave up like a shit ton of runs in the, at the end of that game. So maybe yell at them as well. But then your yeah. boys gave him. Uh, well, they didn't give him, but they let uh, Theo Epstein go over there. And he was responsible. So. Thank you, Boston. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, kind of like little link up there because Boston also didn't have that title for a million years. So that guy actually had, 86. man, dude, that guy, mm. 
He got both those franchises on the map. Yeah. 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 It makes you wonder, is it really the franchise or is it the the mind behind it all? Well, he's got free beers for life in two great American cities. (laughs) Yeah, no shit. I don't think he needs free beers. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> pay for his own goddamn. I'm pretty beer. sure I read that he's trying to because uh, he's not with the Cubs anymore, right? Didn't he? Uh, no. Did he leave? I think he uh, he wanted to buy buy a baseball team. Like he wanted to be part of the ownership Damn. group. So I could see that happening soon, if it hasn't already. Okay. I don't know. I I stopped watching uh, baseball this year. 1992 Adams Family VHS. Uh, really, you said you. you <laughs> Yeah, it's scorching. <laughs> your, your family couldn't get this movie for two weeks. It was. It might have even been. I think it was like seventeen years. Yeah, it was. I, I it was, was so I, hot. <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to ask you. Was it like the Great Depression in your household? You guys were just moping <laughs> around. Bumming. We were. We you were like, "What are we gonna family? do?" We would go there, we, and we would actually like go. We would check the store like multiple times each mm-hmm. day. And it was like, you know, we're like waiting by the door and like asking people when they would drop it off. I'm like, do you have the Adams family? And they'd be like, no. His dad uh, came so, home with Street Fighter and they never talked yeah. to him again. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like, hey. Tough times. Tough times, man. <laughs> we couldn't get the movie again. Uh, dad, what do we do for fun tonight? Oh, uh, Drew, we eat the bread. That's what we do tonight. In silence because we can't get the Adams family VHS. Yeah, we didn't uh, want to talk to him. Yeah. He's grumpy. <laughs> Uh, 1972, the last Pigpen show. You said he played organs for the Grateful Dead. Yeah, he played with organs. organs yeah. I thought he, said, he played no. with. How? Do, how? <laughs> uh, okay. First off, I can appreciate the passion involved here, because Mark is a, a massive, the biggest Grateful Dead fan I know. <laughs> and uh, I, I back when I was young, I lived with a lot of people who just reeked of patchouli. So trust you me <laughs> when I say there's a lot of hacky sacks around. So a lot of Grateful Dead fans in my my uh my life now how did he die he uh, pick pen had uh he liked the drink a little too much oh. and uh years of heavy drinking finally caught up with him and he basically just bled from the inside out okay his liver just said you know hey. fuck this shit yeah it was it was yeah. it was not a, a happy ending Ugh. all the right pre- well that was the prequel to street fighter <laughs> <laughs> yeah his liver was wicked depressed. It couldn't get the Adams Family VHS <laughs> or the cart back then. The cartridge. That's what he wanted. What well, was on television? Um, yeah, there right. you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> TV was broken. And the liver just said, "Fuck it, I quit." <laughs> okay, guys. I mean, this is going to boil down to uh, which is the the bigger uh, hot product. And I mean, it's really tough to argue the fact <laughs> that when you sell a major league baseball franchise, uh, it doesn't get much hotter than that. Despite Drew selling the, um, you know, sizzling hot heat of Raul Julia and again his family woes, and Angelica uh, Houston. Smoking. There you go, there you go, and a, a very young. What's her name? The one who played uh, Wednesday that went on to um, Christina Ricci. Christina Ricci in that as well. Yes, Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, great cast, but unfortunately. Yeah. Hand, hand model. Chicago Cubs. Same thing with the Grateful Dead show. You basically are trying to sell me a ticket, a $6 ticket. Great. Cheap ticket. Yeah. Last show for one of the you know original members. For you, huge, right? Big time. Oh, this guy, he, he was uh, you know one of the founders of the band. Me? Eh. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. You know? Yeah, I know. I just made a weird noise because it's not really my kind of group. So I probably wouldn't buy a ticket even if it was 50 cents. Hey, so you uh, pick what you know. 
I guess so. So, uh, yeah, Chicago Cubs, 81, Man Crush uh, wins hot products. You know what's uh, what's funny is the Mets were sold two years prior to that for the record franchise total at that point, mm-hmm. $21.1 million Wow. To double day enterprises. How insane mm-hmm. is that? That's like nothing. I mean, even with conversion, $60 million bucks, those guys had to know they were going to get that money back. I know, but you're talking like Monopoly money here. You know, yeah, a lot I mean, of us these will are never see corporations. Yeah, not yeah, us I know. per se, but like, right? If you say you won the lotto and you mm. if like a team with sixty million bucks, fuck yeah, let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, who's this douche in office? Man crush asshole. How awesome would that be? To like own a baseball game. That'd be so fucking awesome, man. You have just baseball. You can have business cards that say your name. It says owner. Nothing else. <laughs> What do you do? I don't know. Somebody else runs this shit. I just don't. <laughs> I'm that guy. <laughs> All right, man, crush. You have the lead and we only have two rounds left and they're both two point rounds. We got movies and music. Where are we going first? All right, let's go music. Let's finish up on movies because we haven't done that in a while. I feel like it was always a thing. And lately we've been throwing them in the middle. So let's we'll finish up with movies. We'll go music right here. Uh, let's go June 15th, 1981. Listen, I'm not sure why it is. I I don't know about you guys, but I really I have no qualms about drawing any years except for two. I, and I don't know what the reason is, but I'm never a fan of drawing 1981 or 1988. And I think with all this baseball talk, I think I hate 1988 because the Mets were the best team in yeah. baseball. And then they got ousted by the Dodgers in the NLCS and the whole Kirk Gibson home run. It just spoiled, you know, when he, they beat the A's completely spoiled 1988 for me. So I think that's the reason, but I have no idea why I hate 1981, but after looking through the musical choices, I, I think it's this, and it's not a bad, it's not a bad thing. I, I just think that 1981 is such a bridge year when it comes to music. Cause look at it. Like disco is just about finally dead, right? Rap is still in its infancy. Punk is really raw. And stadium rock has really started to like metastasize into new wave. So I always find like the early 80s to not be in my wheelhouse. And I'm not saying it's bad music, but you really see that transition taking place. And I feel like there's a couple years in the early 80s, especially 1981, where it's just like a transition year. Where they're just kind of like throwing shit out there. And I really notice this with the music round. Because I I really feel with music, it has to hit you. Because if it doesn't, then it's really hard to sell a pick. Anything else you can, like a, a movie or a TV show, you can kind of get behind it. Music's totally different. It's visceral. It's completely separate, you know? Anyway, uh, on June 15th, we get the debut album from a band that was part of that early 80s British music invasion to the United States. And we, we've talked about it before. Actually, that's the second wave. And again, I mean, that's more early 80s change I was just talking about. Uh, but personally, like I always felt like this band was extremely underrated. They have some massive hits, but they're never, never talked about as like a defining act of the 80s. And I, I really believe that they were. It's it's pretty shocking. They've never been put in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This is a band that sold over 100 million albums in their existence. 
So maybe Dave Schultz, maybe with a win in this round, all will be forgiven. We'll just be like, okay. <laughs> now they're recognized. We get it. But of those 100 million albums I was just talking about, this album right here, it accounts for 1 million in album sales. Going platinum in the process, it reached number 10 on the U.S. Billboard 200, and it featured three singles. We had Planet Earth, Careless Memories, and their first U.S. single to hit the charts, Girls on Film. You got it. Of course, of course, the band that I'm talking about here is Duran Duran, and this is the release of their self-titled debut album. The real kicker here is the original Girls on Film video, which, of course, it was banned in the U.K., and the version that we know from MTV was heavily edited, heavily. The video, the whole thing about this video, it was made prior to MTV launching. It was, MTV launched in like August of 81. So they made it prior to that. So the band, like they didn't really have a place to put this. It was, they made this video for like playing in nightclubs and, and shit like that. So they could put it on the video screen. Even that, I mean, maybe strip clubs. I don't know. Cause you had models rubbing their crotches on a pole covered with shaving cream. And I mean like really rubbing their crotches in it. You had a see-through <laughs> lingerie pillow fight. You had uh, erotic ass massages to a dude uh, from a girl though. Uh, more see-through wet t-shirt sumo wrestling. Uh, where a girl beats up a sumo wrestler. You had nude or at least topless mud wrestling. You had a, clo a super extreme close-up of a girl rubbing an ice cube on her nipple. Uh, then, of course, uh, it kind of wraps up with a, a nude prison-style shower with the hose. So you you had all... The video has it all. And, uh, Sounds if, like it. If you need to find that one, if I really enticed you, uh, David Schultz, uh, go to Daily Motion when you're done with this episode, because they actually have the entire video there. Cause if you try to look it up on YouTube, you're going to get a bullshit, a bunch of bullshit, especially there's one that's on YouTube. If you go to YouTube, and you don't believe me. And you try to search for it. You're going to find one where somebody wrote Duran Duran across the top of it, uh, it with like squiggly lines. So you feel like it's like 1989 and you, you press the V hold button on your television and you're trying to watch porn. <laughs> It's that bad. Don't even bother. Just go right over to Daily Motion. The whole video is there. But this. Why do you think? Whoa, 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 dude! Why are you thinking like those are all my like my fetishes wrapped up in a nice little bow for me or something? You're like, I'm hey, not. I'm just. I'm just. These. I'm just saying. Make sure you check them out. You'll you'll like it. You especially the part with the pole and the shaving cream. It's really good. Uh, I just want to see the hose scene. <laughs> oh, that's prison. Scene. Then you got to watch the whole thing. You got because that's all the way at the end. Uh, but this is the release of Duran Duran's debut album, Duran Duran. See, I like Duran Duran. They're a pretty good band from the 80s. I think yeah. they progressively got a little bit better. But... Girls on film. <laughs> All right, Drew Zachman. What did you bring for the music round? <clears throat> All right. So mm -hmm. what I have is an album, which is a follow-up to their 1990 debut album that featured the smash panty dropper Love of a Lifetime, which peaked at number five on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Uh, this album featured yet another panty dropper, When I Look Into Your Eyes, which hit number eight on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 as it was played on pretty much every radio station at every wedding and in every car ride from some guy trying to get a handy before he dropped his date <laughs> off at home. Now, Also, every about, wedding of that year, probably. Yes. Yeah, totally. I, I said that. Jeez. Well, both years. Oh, that's true. 
That's true. Uh, but I'm talking about the sensational album Hold Your Fire from Firehouse, which was released on June 16th, 1992. Uh, another single, Reach for the Sky, hit 83 on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, this album was certified gold, and with massive hits like these, it's easy to see why. So easy to see why this is such a massive album. There's another single called Sleeping With You, which hits 78 on a U.S. Billboard Hot 100, further cementing the idea that these guys were trying way too hard to get laid. It probably worked, though. So, uh, anywho, hold your fire by Firehouse. I saw those guys in 2005 with, uh, with Rat, there Cinderella, and... Quiet, Quiet Riot. Riot. Yeah. A lot of leather jackets there. Yeah, I saw the same tour. Oh, dude. They actually weren't bad. They weren't no. bad. No, they're not. No, these guys are, they're, they're, um, I forgot the guitarist name, but they're very good. They're very yeah. talented band. Yeah. They sounded better than Quiet Riot did. So. I don't know. There were dudes that were sitting in front of us. They were all like all in their 40s, like RH now. And it looked like they just escaped for the night from their wives and they were smoking one joint. Like they were so cool. They were like past. They're like the guy like pulled it out. You know, you got to be on video to watch this. But like the guy pulls it out. It's like, and then all the guys are like, yeah, they're like smoking it while Quiet Riot was on. I was like, dude, you guys are going to be done with that thing in two seconds. He's like, I stole it from my kid. Yeah. It was all like bent and shit when he pulled it out of his pocket. It was like pre-made. I was like, oh, yeah, this looks fucking awesome. I've had the same joint since 1987. It's still good, right? should burn Just good. for this moment, man. Great concept. All right, guys. So I'm going to start off my musical selection this week by asking you guys just a simple question. Who can take a sunrise, sprinkle it with dew, cover it with chocolate, and a miracle or two. Well, the candy man can because he mixes it with love and, you know, he makes the world taste good. The candy man was written specifically for the 1971 film Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory uh, by Leslie Bercuse and the same man who that was the same man who gave us music for the movie Goldfinger and You Only Live Twice, two great James Bond movies. And it would also had the Grammy Award winning singer Anthony Newley. Now, the soundtrack version of the song was sung by Aubrey Woods, who was in the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, of course. But starting June 10th, 1972, the Candyman would return. Be- just because you said his name three times in the mirror? No, it came back and claimed the top spot on the Billboard Hot 100. Although this time, it was sung by the great Sammy Davis Jr., baby. Billboard would later rank Sammy's version of the Candyman as the number five song of 1972. Now, ironically, Sammy Davis Jr. didn't think Candyman was even a great song at first and only recorded it after some extreme reluctance. So the Candyman would be nominated for a Grammy and become Sammy Davis Jr.'s signature song and, of course, his nickname. Uh, The song has also been covered by Primus and Ron Capella, who you'll remember from Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. I give you the number one song in the country for the week of June 11th through the 17th, well, and for the next two weeks after that, Candyman by Sammy Davis Jr. Can I, can I ask a quick question about the Willy Wonka movie, right? They have the Candyman at the store. When he's yeah. singing that song, he's just like throwing shit out left and right to all these kids. Like, hey, come behind the, the counter. That's not weird. 
But when Charlie gets in there, he's like charging him. And it's like, first of all, this kid's like broke. But you're just like throwing shit out to all these other people. Like there's your inventory like method is out of whack there, buddy. So I don't know. That just bugged me and I just wanted to talk about to somebody. So thanks. That's it. Glad you kept that off your chest. Thank you. I feel better a little bit. All right, let's toss it over to Judge Dave Schultz for his ruling on the music round. Okay, I think it's great that Drew feels better. I'm glad you did, in fact, uh, let that out upon the world and how you feel about it. Very interesting, because you're not going to win this round. So at least you got something out out of showing up tonight. Uh, I'm sorry, dude, but the the Firehouse Hold Your Fire album. When I look into your eyes, just play it. Just play it. Girls no, will come I you like immediately. Oh yeah, that's exactly what I need. I don't. I don't Wait, which I don't which need album had what? Which album? That one was on that album. When I look into your when eyes? I look at when I look into your eyes was off of this one. Oh, the the, the love, love of, of a lifetime, lifetime was on their their. Previous They're like the one, same yeah. song. It's like the second half, basically. Yeah, it's a yes, continuation yes. of the first one. Sadly, yeah. more people own both of those songs on Monster Ballads than they did on the actual Firehouse album. True. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> it was but still. Regular, they're just like the history of it now is is more famous for being a, a yellow blurb that scrolled across your screen when watching a right. compilation <laughs> CD commercial or something. And everyone knows this. Finally found the love of a lifetime, and then it goes to hot blooded, check it and see, and then you get the album. And you're like, what the fuck? That's on the next song. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you get so, like, here I go again by White Snake. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Great tune. Too bad he didn't yes. have that one. Okay, so I, I since I already took you out of the running, unfortunately, I'm looking at 81, 72. Duran Duran in 81, the debut. Great band. Uh, and I can't believe we're this far into the show where I have to say it. They have legs, right? They've been around for a long time. And they even went, they even went away for a while. They were uncool, unhip, and they ended up coming back with, um, what was the sing- single? Uh, oh, Ordinary you're talking World? About the, yeah, Ordinary World in the early 90s, yeah. yep. Right, yeah, so... 90s. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God, Duran Duran is still around? Holy cow. And they've been, I think, fairly popular. Yeah, popular I think they still tour. Day. Yeah, so, and they're not touring with Quiet Riot. So, <laughs> no. you know, they're not at your local carnival or whatever. It's like, <laughs> hey, look. They're look, not the fairgrounds. Some, yeah, exactly. Throw a ping pong ball into that uh, fighting fish bowl and you can bring it home. Oh, my God, it's Duran Duran. No, that's not happening. You know? No, uh None of that stuff going on. But here's the thing, too. In 72, Shammy Davis Jr. with Candyman, I like the fact that Mock actually brought me, like, a song that was number one on the chats. You know what I mean? This was a very popular tune at the time, no matter what you may think of it. And yet again, here we go. Sammy Davis Jr., absolute icon. So I'm kind of going to have to go with personal taste here, which I don't know if it's fair or equitable or... Uh, maybe I should be derobed of my judge duties here. Uh, you do it however you want. Oh, really? Well, that's one of the things. You're bringing up all that crazy shit from the video. That might inspire me to uh, some ideas on how I do, in fact, want to do it. <laughs> I throw some candy up in the air. You need a pole and some shaving. It's like, I don't know if it was shaving cream or whipped cream. It must have been shaving okay. cream. But Doesn't matter. Getting, dude, they're going real hard on their crotches <laughs> on that pole. And I was like, there's yeast infections all over that. <laughs> Because she's mixing it up with love and making the world taste good. That's right. Girls on film. I'm nauseated now. 
Um, but you know what I'm going to do here? I am actually going to go with the uh, debut album of Duran Duran and uh, give the victory to 1981. All right. All right, Man Crush. That means you win this game, but we're going to play on and head over to the final movies round. Dave just doesn't want me to argue with him for like 25 minutes. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> All right. So let's uh, let's go June 19th of 1981. It was actually a big day for movies. Uh, this movie, another movie. I grew up watching this one. It's probably my favorite Burt Reynolds movie of all time. And I'm not just saying that like Drew Zachman says that about a lot of his picks. I actually really love this. Uh, this Burt Reynolds movie. I rewatched this last night, probably for the first time in decades. And it still holds up. Matter of fact, knowing the backstory to this movie made it a little bit more entertaining as an adult. I'll get into that in a little bit. But that said, there are some old school like dialogue things in this movie that would never fly today. Never, ever, uh, including which, which is actually weird because uh, Sammy Davis Jr. is in this movie and Mark brings up Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, so we're bringing him up twice within consecutive rounds and he's probably never been brought up in the two and a half years of doing the show. No, matter of fact, that's why I picked that song because we've never brought up Sammy Davis Jr. on the show. That's wild that, uh, that he's also in this. Uh, but you know what? Like even with the cringy parts, the movie itself, a really fun watch. Uh, like getting back to what I mentioned earlier, this is also loosely based on a true story because this event actually took place several times throughout the seventies. And, uh, like, therefore it, it just made it a bit more fun to think about the reality of this actually occurring and what it could have looked like. Uh, but domestically this movie, it did pretty well at the box office, uh, taking in roughly $72 million which is around $217 million in 2021 for you guys. And, uh, they they probably did more the same or more overseas because they absolutely love them some Burt Reynolds over there but uh unfortunately the international figures were all over the place uh but this was the seventh highest grossing film of 1981 so it had that going for it uh this film it actually didn't it, it actually wasn't going to star Burt Reynolds uh because and it wasn't even initially going to be a comedy. Uh, the writer of this film was Brock Yates. And originally he had this whole thing slated to be an action movie with Steve McQueen in the main role. However, if you know anything about Steve McQueen uh, towards the, the late seventies, he was very sick. Uh, he had cancer. It spread and he ends up dying in 1980. And uh, I won't get too much into that, but that's a nutty story too. He had like a, fucking 10 pound tumor in his stomach or something and the, the doctors told him that his heart would expire if he had surgery on it so he went to like mexico to get the surgery and then dies of heart failure in mexico or something like that it's crazy ass story so anyhow so they they redid this whole script for burt reynolds and they made it a comedy and i suppose that they wanted to make this one an action movie originally because there was just about an identical movie they came out in 1976 called the gumball rally. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that one, but it's basically the same movie, same premise, everything based on that race. Uh, the funny part is uh, I personally love this movie, but Burt Reynolds hated this movie. And this is a kicker because he claimed that he did this out of a favor to his friend, Hal Needham, who's the director. 
Same director as the guy that did uh, Smoking the Bandit 1 and 2 and Hooper with Burt Reynolds. But as far as favors go, how is it a like a really a favor when you become the highest paid actor at the time getting five million bucks to play the role that's like if we were supposed to have a judge come on and i i contacted dave like i this guy bailed out uh can you come on the show and he's like yeah i'll do you a favor i'll come on uh pay me five grand that's like the same thing as this but uh they paid it they paid it to him and uh but he hated it afterwards, which I, I don't understand. We also get uh, Jackie Chan in this one. It's it's not his very first U.S. role because he was in the big brawl in 1980. Right. But that doesn't really I, I don't really count that because it's a joint with a Hong Kong production company. Wasn't that big of a movie, but he appears in this one and it spurns out two different sequels. You had one that came out like two years later, a year later then you had one in the late 80s. It was total trash so if you're in the mood for like all-star ensemble cast fast cars whacked out doctors friendly kidnappings captain chaos chinese jackie chan playing japanese jackie chan shiny bodysuits with nothing underneath the rat pack flashing priests casual drinking and driving which happens through the whole movie jimmy the greek fist fights surprise endings roger moore playing himself and breaking the law then go out and rent yourself a copy of The Cannonball Run. All right, Drew Zachman, what did you bring for the movies round? All right, so uh, who's? I have a question. Who Who is the best Batman? Is it Christian Bale? Uh, probably Ben Affleck, a lot of people might say. I'd say Michael um, Keaton. Keaton, yeah. See, there we go. Now, personally, I've also been always partial to Mr. Michael Keaton, and on June 19th, we got to see the follow-up to the monster hit Batman with Batman Returns. Now, this one had Keaton reprising his role as Bruce Wayne and featuring Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, which made 12-year-old Drew have some tingly feelings that were unknown to him at the time. Uh, this movie also had Danny DeVito as the iconic Penguin, also had Christopher Walken, and one of my favorite character actors, Vincent Chiavelli. Uh, also, a little trivia. Annette Bening was originally cast as Catwoman, uh, but she became pregnant and was replaced with Pfeiffer. So take that, working women. Um, anyway, this movie had a budget of $80 million and pulled in a box office of $266 million, or in 2021, man crush dollars. What do you think? Uh, what, do you think what was it? Two what? 266. What do you think, man crush? In 1992, uh, probably about 480. Mm, not bad. 510. $510 million in 2021. Uh, and Man Crush, your movie, how high did that rank for the year? Was it was the uh, seventh? seventh, yeah. Oh, uh, because Batman Returns was the sixth highest grossing movie of 1992. Just want to throw that out there. Uh, <laughs> uh, the film was nominated for two Academy Awards, Best Visual Effects and Best Makeup. And Michelle Pfeiffer was nominated for an MTV Movie Award for Most Desirable Female, losing to Sharon Stone for her role in Basic Instinct, which I totally support that decision. So I give you Batman Returns, June 19th, 1992. Landing strip. Speaking of, oh, where to begin with this one, guys? All right. So this movie was made for just $22,500. And Drew, yes, that's $145,000 today. Hey, thanks. It had its world premiere at the World Theater in New York City. And it's a film that not only would have success and sequels, but would push the boundaries of an entire industry. 
all while moving said industry into the mainstream. It's a groundbreaking film that would have a major impact on changing social norms for generations to come. It would also become a pop culture phenomenon, with its namesake becoming a widely used everyday term, and even famously as an informant codename. Open wide, I give you the world premiere of Deep Throat, June 12, 1972. <laughs> a woman with an unusual birth defect comes to a doctor who has an unorthodox solution to make the best of her situation. Uh, there's a whole lot to unpack with this movie. Uh, <laughs> the movie was a subject of a 2005 documentary uh, called Inside Deep Throat and a 2013 movie starring the enchanting Amanda Seyfried as Lovelace. And now both of these projects explore the dark truths about the movie. Uh, when the film was released theatrically in the U.S., many companies were investigated by law enforcement agents, including the FBI, and a number of them were convicted for distributing obscenity. Uh, star Linda Lovelace herself later revealed in her autobiography that Chuck Trainer, her then-husband, coerced her into participating in the film and was controlling and abusive on set. In a March 1973 column, critic Roger Ebert wrote, It is still all very well for good Linda Lovelace, the star of the movie, to advocate sexual freedom, but the energy she brings to her role is less awesome than discouraging. It's one of the most infamous films of all time. It's Deep Throat, June 12, 1972. In case you're wondering, in 2006, it was revealed that uh, FBI Special Agent Mark Felt was uh, the Deep Throat informant. Mark Felt. Tying it all back together with Watergate. Have you ever seen the sequel to that movie? No. It's like, no, it's, I, not, it's not, I don't even think it's a porn. I think it's like rated R. Yeah, I, you can watch uh, Deep Throat. It is available on a lot of, uh, let's just say, streaming uh <laughs> <laughs> streaming sites did you do research and watch this one i did and uh it is yeah wow lots of hair lots and lots of hair it's uh i mean it's a groundbreaking film but by no stretch of the imagination is it a good film the acting is horrible the plot is horrible it's a porn yeah matter of fact it was the first porn to ever really include plot, story, character development. So, I mean, it was groundbreaking in that fashion, but... Too much Bush for Mark. <laughs> Too yep. much Bush. Bush, we've got Bush! <laughs> Mark's like, no! no. <laughs> Shave that! Get it out of my face! <laughs> All right, well, let's hear what Dave Schultz has to say on the movies round. Okay, well, it's kind of a shame we did music prior to this round because I had to go with personal taste... And it ended up giving Man Crush the win. Had we uh, done movies first, so I guess, you know, selection and timing is everything, Cannonball Run would not have won this round. I, I hate this movie. I really do. I hate Cannonball Run, and that's going to be an unpopular opinion. As a kid, I loved it. Upon rewatching it as an adult, I'm like, this is just a complete star fuck. These guys, like, <laughs> it, like you said, the, the celebrity cast, it's like more about them than it is about the actual movie itself, you know? I really did not enjoy rewatching it. 
uh, one iota. I actually had to turn it off. I think like 25 minutes into the movie, I'm like, how did I even like this as a kid? It's and that's why and that's why I mentioned that before. If you know about it, it was actually called the Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Memorial Trophy Dash, and it was a real deal thing. So like, kind of knowing that and the camaraderie that they had doing that makes Uh a lot of sense with the movie because that that's actually what they did was they drove cross. And I think the guy that won in 1979 was driving like a, a Jaguar and forgive me if I'm wrong. I think it's an XJS or something like that. And mm-hmm. he did it in like 32 hours and something and only got like one ticket going across the United States. And there were like different rules and penalties for doing different things. So it's kind of cool. And it kind of ties to the movie a little bit more if you know that, but I, yeah, I get it. And it's 1981. So it's not like anything that we're used to now. And if you listen, the script is not the greatest script. No. And you could definitely tell that it was reworked. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's still better than the script to Deep Throat. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much, but it's still fun. I thought it was a fun watch. Dom DeLuise yeah, they, was always my I was going to say, they should have called the movie, let's treat Dom DeLuise like shit. That's what they should <laughs> every every movie he's in with Burt Reynolds, he just gets treated like a utter log of crap. Which is which is great. Spoiler, uh, spoiler. So turn it off if you've never seen the movie and you want to. Oh. They're going to win. Captain Chaos is running to the uh, the time clock, and uh, some lady's like, "My baby!" And he like has to run and get this dog from the water. Ends up losing the uh, the cannonball run in the process to the. Uh, to Adrian Barbeau and the other, I don't even know who the other girl is in the shiny suit in the Ferrari. And, uh, <laughs> Bert comes up to him and is just scolding him and then rips the, the freaking mask off. And he's like, no, you know, captain chaos is over. And I still remember that part from when I watched it as a kid and it was super nostalgic watching it because then I remembered him donning the captain USA cap. And he was like, that's okay because I'm Captain USA and like as a kid, totally awesome. As an adult, you're like, Meh. I think the actual record is like 25 hours or something Jesus. like that to go from to go from New York to to California. Yeah, I think which is insane. There was one that was in the middle years or somewhere because there was I think there was five or six of them that ran, and the uh, the top speed was like an average of 87 miles an hour across the country, which is pretty insane when you think about it. Yeah, like going through like you know slower roads or whatever, slower areas. Um, I, I remember reading about. It. I think it was like a some kind of like Mercedes, and I think they had like uh, an extra. There was like two or three people doing it, so that way they can just you know keep rotating drivers. Um, and yeah, and they and I think they had like people kind of looking out for them too. Like, hey, there's no cops around this area or whatever. So it's kind of like a team effort, but still, that's insane. Twenty five hours. That's nuts. But I respect your decision. Okay, great. I want to see Cannibal run with uh, the Amish bunch of horse and buggies <laughs> traveling across the country. Took thirty six weeks. <laughs> exactly. Drew in nineteen ninety two. Batman Returns. Batmania was still living large since eighty nine. Batman Returns. Here's another one, right? I mean, when I was a kid, I I loved that movie. I loved all anything Batman, to be honest with you. But again, upon rewatch, all these years later, it's not that great of a film. Uh, it's, it's actually pretty crappy. Uh, I don't know what you guys think about it. It's very colorful. Um, it's very campy. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. Um, yeah. So it kind of, for me, it actually reminds me more of like the, uh, 60s TV show in many ways. Uh, of course it didn't have like the punching sound effects, what have you, but I mean, it was, it was a pretty cheesy ass movie. 
Uh, but it was huge. Yeah. It was massive. And it was a fond memory for me. I mean, really, we, Batman, you could go to McDonald's and get your Batman Happy Meal. You turn around, you got Batman shirts everywhere. And, and as a comic book fan, it was a great time to be alive. So Batman Returns is a big one. And so you would have been in the running for this round, at least. Um, I don't think you've won any round, have you, Drew? Not at all. You came so fucking close. So fucking close, man. I usually don't win any rounds on any episode. Oh, stop. You were right there, too, with that Batman Returns, buddy. Uh, I know. You can go to sleep uh, and feel like shit tonight. You know? So, sorry. That's Uh, all right. Cradle cradle your your copy of Adam's Family. I will. He doesn't have one. <laughs> I have. I, bu- I bought like thirty of them just so I could be like, "Guess what, motherfuckers? You stockpiled if the apocalypse ever right. happens. Yeah, never has to worry now, about." Now it I have the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nineteen seventy-two, Deep Throat. Uh, first off, I I say documentary. Now, Mike, you say it differently. Can you say it for me? Documentary. Documentary. You said this before on the show, and I've never corrected you, or I don't even know if I should correct yeah, you. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. I don't no, know. I am. I'm really? It's like yeah. calling Target Target. It's one of those deals. Yeah. Did you <laughs> add a man. syllable to that? Yes, I did. Oh, wow. That's tough. You consciously did this on purpose? No, I didn't do it. No. I, just did. I think I do it both ways sometimes. I think sometimes I do really? say, depends on how I'm feeling. Documentary. Well, this opens up a great debate. How do people out there say it? We got to know. Comment on the video below. Get on your Facebook, all that good stuff. I think but it's correct as no. documentary, not documentary, as I said. That's okay. I, I can't fucking speak half the time myself, so who am I to judge? <laughs> Oops, I am a judge. <laughs> but, uh, dude, this whole thing with Linda Lovelace and, and, and a porno um, getting national recognition, Yeah, uh, it, it was just a massive, massive thing. Was it Batman Returns massive? No, not at all. But, some of the uh, members, I'm sure, were pretty big in the film. I, I haven't seen it. But I, I did see the the documentary. Uh, actually, it's not really a documentary. It's like one of those, uh, what do you call it, biopics about uh, Linda Lovelace. The one you're talking about with Siegfried there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Siegfried and Roy. That was a good one. I like the Tigers. Well, you saw it. That's a different one. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, crap. <laughs> oh, man. That was really good, though. Uh no, but I mean seriously, it's like she went through a lot of shit, man. She was treat- yeah. again like Dom DeLuise. She was she was treated like him, and that's bad. Yeah, that's yucky. That's icky. That's gross. Um, but still, just just the fact that you know uh, your Nana knew what the hell Deep Throat was is <laughs> a pretty pretty big <laughs> deal. And, and so uh, it, again, we're still talking about it, and you can say that you can say uh, Deep Throat in 2021, and people associate it, yeah, with either a, a spy or the film so right. uh, not the spy but the you know i'm trying to say the, the informant. Uh, yeah. informant thank thank you all this for, forgiven documentary guy but uh you would have won the round mark i would have given the round to you so it would have been a far more interesting game had we selected movies first and uh that's that all right well man crush wins this one but uh, you know, maybe things will be different again next week. Who knows? What did you bring for your? What did you bring for your wild card? For my wild card, you don't have oh, to go deep boy. into it. Just what did you bring? Uh, well, my my wild card was a hot product that I actually found in uh, in the Baltimore Sun, 
And uh, this was an, a new product that was being invented. It's, it's Just not spit the it best. out. What is it? <laughs> it's it's Galvalume. It's the stuff that they make metal roofs out of. They started manufacturing it in the uh, in the steel mills and started shipping it out worldwide. So I have the invention of basically what metal roofs are made out of. That's what I had. That's you know <laughs> barn oh, burner wow. right there. Mm. Yeah. Good thing I fucking cut you off to make you stop that one. <laughs> what What about you, Drew? Oh, I had I had complete horseshit. I had um, <laughs> it was the only thing I could even find that was remotely asphalt roofs. No, uh, uh, similar. Uh, I had an album from Lindsey Buckingham, uh, a solo album called "Out of the Cradle." I'm not a big Fleetwood Mac fan. I'm like, uh, whatever. Yeah. So I think I could find that was like moderately because, like, movie wise, there was shit. Uh, and this was uh, just still beats roofing, barely. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time and just won't get a chance to get to Lindsey Buckingham. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna. I had Superman. What was yours? I had Superman two. Ooh, oh, yeah. oh. show off. Well, I just like like I picked Superman not that long ago, so I didn't feel right, right. picking it again. Even though you it's always a sequel. talk about Superman, so uh, you know it's funny. You know who was you know who you know who was a Superman? Who Nelson Mandela? <laughs> here's a uh, here's a little so, shout out to uh, listener Eric Cluley, who uh, sent me a message today and says that. Uh, let me read the exact message he sent. He said, "Hold on, could wait. Mark please discuss roofing materials on the next episode?" <laughs> That'd be he great. Said, no, he said, uh, "I know it was a canon episode, but damn." You really love over the top. I feel like you've brought it up on at least a third of all episodes. So uh, with that, I need to bring it up again. And thank you, Eric Hooley, for sending me that message. Yeah, but over the top is fantastic. <laughs> it is. That's why I said. I said well-deserved. Fuck. You know, you, you were proud of yourself with the Sammy Davis Jr. thing, but you, we also talked about Burt Reynolds and before that, Lonnie Anderson. Yeah. Not mentioned, so. Right. Look at that. Here we go, baby. Breaking it's all the rules tie-ins. tonight. And Dave had no idea what we were bringing, and he mentioned Lonnie Anderson. That's hell myself. That's where you bring your dad for Father's Day. Everybody out there, I hope you had a great Father's <laughs> Day because now it's over by the time you heard this. But let's make believe. Well, you can't you can't bring your dad Lonnie Anderson anymore. Maybe maybe her hairpiece. Yeah, hey, look well, at this, Lonnie Anderson. She might still look pretty good. Helmet. She might look good. I thought she was dead. That's why I just said that. She's alive. No, I think she's still alive. Wow. I think she is. Someone better get on the. Uh, All right, guys. Mark can do a closeout, and I'll give the update right before. Uh... <laughs> All right. Well, Man Crush wins this one. I want to thank Dave Schultz for coming in once again and being an excellent judge. Hey, Dave, why don't you tell us all uh, what's happening on the Selling Out show and uh, with Schultz Soaps? Ah, there you go. Look at that. Last time I was on, I was promoting a podcast and the soap, and here I am again doing the same freaking thing. But you know, the problem was. Is when I was promoting my stuff, uh, Dueling Decades spelled my name wrong on the bottom of the screen. <laughs> and this is like a lifelong problem for me. People can't pronounce it or, or can't uh, spell my name. So let me do that right now real quick. It's S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. So if you look up at Schultz Soap on Instagram, you will see my amazing creations because I am a true artisan. Okay? What I do with my hands is an amazing process that just may uh, blow your mind. I mean, as far as my podcast, it's fucking great. I'm on it. It can't be beat with a freaking stick. So make sure you follow at Selling Out Show on all your favorite social media outlets, whatever you they spell may be. That? Uh, no, I shouldn't have to. Um, <laughs> but I could if you really wanted me to. Is it with a Z? 
Zellingau? What you ta- No. It's like using no, the that, that Cash App thing. No. At selling out show. If you can't spell that, I can't help you. But you know what? You're probably in line to be the next vice president of the United States of America. <laughs> what was what was your soap thing again? What was that one? At Schultz. On at Schultz Soap. That's S C H U L T Z. See, a lot of people, uh, I get a bone to pick with the human race. People think uh, I'm related to the guy who created Peanuts, Charles <laughs> Schultz. But his name is spelled different. Right. So, like, even, even growing up, they'd be like, oh, yeah, look at you, man. You must be rich, right? Because your, your grandfather invented Snoopy. I make it spell different. And if I didn't get that, I get the whole, like, my teachers would be, uh, I see nothing. Huh? Yeah, you've you seen Hogan oh, Heroes geez. and Schultz, right? And I'm like, dude, I'm like fucking six years old. I ain't watching Hogan's Heroes. What the fuck's the matter with you? I don't even know what you're talking about, crazy lady. I wanted to change my name back then to, like, Dave Diamond or something or David Danger, you know? There you go. A little alliteration there, but I stuck it's with Schultz, so here I am, and now I'm old, and I make soap. I like and that. I make cool podcasts. David <laughs> Diamond Schultz, your DDS. Yeah, fucking I'll knock your it. teeth out, motherfucker. That's yeah, what I there mean. you go. <laughs> and uh, Drew Zachman, why don't you tell everybody what's happening on Songs Gone Wrong? Yeah, so we just had uh, Kevin Martin from Candlebox on. We're getting some more interviews, uh, and we have Dave Scottney from Janice. It's kind of like a alt rock band from like uh, the last like 10 10 years uh, I, i'm a big fan of their stuff so we have him we're actually interviewing him tomorrow so the episode will probably be posted probably by the time this episode airs so we'll have janice on there awesome but if you've missed an episode don't worry duelers you can always head over to duelingdecades.com where you can subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and head over to our facebook page let us know what you thought about this episode you can find all of the links for our Facebook, our YouTube, and all of our social medias right down in the episode notes. And if you're watching along on Facebook, why don't you drop a comment on the video? Let us know who you think won this game. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Lonnie Anderson, 75. Podcast New York. Podcast New York. Be heard. Be heard.